But as you look at this, go right into it. It says in verse number 34, this new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We are supposed to love each other. And so often in times it, it, we, we attack each other. And I'm not, talk, I'm not thinking of anything right now, but I'm just telling you sometimes when people are down, you know what we do? We go after them. Oh, look at how bad they are. Did Jesus ever do that? Jesus didn't do that. In fact, at one point they brought a lady into Jesus and they said, you know, this is what it said of old. And then he doesn't even look up. He keeps writing and he says this. He says, you that are perfect, cast that first stone. And he keeps writing and they all disperse. You know, as, as I look at this, I think we're supposed to love each other. And as you go to the next part of it, it says, why are we supposed to love each other? He says, as I have loved you. Isn't it great that God loves us? Isn't it great that Jesus loves us? He gave his only begotten, he, God gave his only begotten son for us, and he showed us his love by this action. And his son died on the cross for us. And he rose again for us. But why, do we, why are we supposed to love each other? Well, he tells us in the story when he talks to his disciples, he's telling his disciples that you need to love each other. And it says, it, look at this next verse, it says, why you should do it. It says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. It tells me this, that people are watching. People are watching us. And you know what? Not only that, they need, to, they need to see a difference in us. And I love what Jesus talks when he talks about loving your enemies. He says, it's easy to love someone that loves you. Right? That's why I'm a dog person, okay? Dogs will, I, I have dogs in my house. I have four golden retrievers and I love them to death. They're like my kids. How many of you have dogs? Okay. And did you know dogs all have different personalities? I have one that when I go home today, she'll give me a hug. I have another one that will stay away from me. She's just wrong, but she stays away from me. And then there's another one that will, will, will seek after my attention. And then I have another one that's not there, that she is one that's probably, the, when I look at her, she just looks sad, but she's always right beside me. Maybe that's why she's sad, I don't know. Um, but, um, but you know, as a, as a, when, it, when I love something that loves me, it's easy. That's why I like dogs. That's why I don't like cats. How many of you are cat people in here? Um, Larry's not here, but I don't like cats because they attack you for no reason. They are my enemy, and when I look at you, I've, I've had cats before. My, dog, my daughter's had cats, and I'd sit there petting, and they would purr, and then all of a sudden they'd turn on you. And I've been bit by the cat that I feed, and I, and I, and I brought up, and it was almost dead, and we, we, we brought, it ate some ibuprofen, didn't know it would, would hurt a cat, and it almost killed the cat. We spent a lot of money on the cat, and, and when, I, when I was paying the bill, I was thinking, why am I paying to keep this cat alive? <laughs> brought it home, and it lived for about three or four more years, and I thought, what in the world is going on? Cats don't, are, are, are my enemy. They're not really want to come up to me. They'll come up to me when they want to, and they'll leave when they want to. But it's easy to love something that, that loves you, right? But Jesus says in the Bible, he says, he's talking to his disciples, he says, you need to love your enemies. And you're going to be treated wrong. And he says, not only this, he's talking to his disciples in this story. And, and you know what the disciples have in common? They're all going to be treated very badly. And so he's telling them, listen, you need to love each other. You're going to need each other. And when, when I was writing this down, I, I was just really thinking of some stuff. I'm, I'm studying, um, and the, the title of this is To Be Like. We are to be like Christ. And we're going to go through a whole series of this, and I'm going to look at some attributes of Christ. I, I'm, every week I'm reading every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you read these things, you realize exactly who Jesus is, and you see some temperaments of Him. 
For instance, if you read John, you'll see that John loved him. He always talks about God, Jesus' love towards him. In fact, even in this story, it'll talk about the one whom, whom, whom loved Jesus and who Jesus loved. And so here you have these, these people, and they're sitting around, and I thought the word Christian means what? The Christ, and then it's in at the I-A-N, which means to be like. So we're supposed to be like him. And then I thought of that statement. It was really, really big, probably 20 years ago, and you'd see it on the back of cars. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I, and I would state this to you that I don't think most people even know what Jesus would do because they don't know who he is. They might know a little bit about him, but they wouldn't know who he is. Because when I'm studying these Gospels, there's some attributes of Christ that just come out and come out and come out. And as I was studying these, you see some things with him. Number one, he was probably, and I know he was, he was the best teacher that ever walked the face of the earth. And he had the worst students that you could possibly have. We're talking about this in Sunday school, that how many times did he tell a parable to the crowd and his disciples that were following him had no earthly idea what he was saying. And they would almost come to him in secret and say, what does that mean? And he would tell them what it meant, and he would go over these. And some of these parables even reproduced themselves, and he would talk about that. He talked about, he showed miracles to them. And some miracles, all miracles are great, but some of the miracles he'd look at and go, that is incredible. Surely this must be the Son of God. He can calm the storms. He can do all these things. I think he was a forgiving man. Jesus forgave these men. And he walked with 12 of them, and he knew all along when Judas Iscariot joined the crowd what he was, do, what he was going to do. But yet he still walked with him. And Judas saw all these miracles also. How would you do if you had an enemy in the camp? I don't do well with it. And I know you don't do well with it. But he walked the whole time knowing that he was part of fulfilling what God had planned for Jesus and he was going to use a man by the name of Judas. He was also, he was also long-suffering. He was a caregiver. My word, he cared for these men. He was always helping them. He had love for others. And I think two of the biggest attributes I think of him, he was a humble person and he was a meek person. But not only was he a person, he was God. And so when I was studying this, I want to be like him. Here's what we do. We add a D to that statement. We want to be liked. Jesus on numerous occasions was kicked out of certain areas or removed from certain areas because he was acting like God. But in our life, what we've got to get back to is being like him. What are his attributes? Sometimes just to be liked is our motivation. We don't want to stand out if we say this, if we do this. Man, they might know I'm a Christian. I want to be an undercover Christian. I want to do this. That's not what Jesus did. He was always out front. And so when I was looking at this and I was studying, all of these thoughts about Christ um, center around one aspect of Christ. The cross, the tomb, the resurrection was all about this too. And it's one word, and you can sum up one of the biggest attributes that he had is he was this. He was selfless. He was selfless. Now, we're pretty close to that word. We're selfish. But he was selfless. 
There's, a, there's always those stories in the Bible. How many of you, when you read the, the Gospels, you read that story, all those stories, he, he, he heals everybody, and at the very end of healing people, what does he say to them? Now, don't go tell everybody. Just don't tell everybody and just keep this between you and I and, and you just go on. Every time, what did they do? They went and told everybody. And Peter, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, why does, why does this bother me? Because he's helping these people, and when he helps these people, he tells them not to do something, and then they, they go out and do exactly opposite of what he said. Do they not hear him? I know the Lord showed me this week, but that's not why he said that. Let's put ourselves in their spot. If you were blind, you could not see, and Larry, someone came up to you and fixed your eyes, would you not tell people? Now let's even go a step further. If you, were done, if you were mute and you could not speak, and Jesus healed, and he did that, he healed one man like that, and the man went on and he told people about it. Now can you imagine you're in his situation and Jesus says, don't tell anybody, and sometimes he'd say, go to the priest and, 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 and go make an offering, make a sacrifice and do this. And if you were that mute guy and you could not speak, then all of a sudden you couldn't. Can you imagine someone walking up to you and saying, you're the guy that can't speak? Would you be going, hmm, hmm? No, I would be telling everybody. I mean, I would tell everybody I possibly could. I was the person that could not see. And now I can see. I was the person that could not hear, and now I hear. I was the person that could not walk. And I was the person that had, had the leprosy, and he took that off of me. But why did Jesus always tell them, and why did they always go and do exactly the opposite? I think it's this. It's our natural inclination to praise God for what he's done. He tells us to praise him. But I think Jesus was saying it for another reason. It was that selfless side of Christ. It wasn't about him. Every time you talk to Christ, and when, when, they, when they bring Christ up, what was he doing? He was always pointing people to his heavenly Father. In fact, even in this chapter, you'll see where they talk about him being good and, and all this. And he, and he, and he just rings, brings it back and says, listen, God is the one that's good because he was a selfless person. Now, if we can get this attribute in our lives, we'd be a better person for it. Because you know what we're all about? Us. I'm all about me. I'm speaking to me as I speak to you. But that's not how Jesus was. You were falsely accused in a court of law and you knew you were going to have death, a death sentence on you and you did nothing wrong. Would you speak? There's not a person in this room that would not speak. We would, we would shout it to the, any person that could hear it. Because you know what? It's about our life. But see, he understood it. He was a selfless person and so when he did not speak, he was fulfilling God's will in his life. And he was fulfilling God's will in our life. Because he did not speak, he went to, he went to the cross when he was our, our Savior, he was our friend. And he died a rugged, rugged, terrible death and said nothing. That's why when he gave up the ghost, one of the centurions, what did he say? Truly this must be the Son of God, because he had seen so many of these crucifixions before. So what does that tell me? That I should be selfless. It shouldn't be about me. 
It shouldn't be. It should be to be like him, not to be liked. When you are like Christ, the Bible tells you you are going to have people against you. We've read the stories in the Bible where people were gnashing their teeth on. Have you ever seen an angry mob do that? I haven't. But in biblical times, I guess it was right. They'd go up and start chewing on you. They'd get mad at you and they'd bite you and they'd do all these things. There's only been a few times that I've seen people get bit and it's not a good thing. They're acting like animals. And so here we have Christ and, and all the way through Matthew and all the way through Mark and all the way through Luke and all the way through John. You see a man that is selfless. He didn't glorify himself. He always glorified God. Oh, to be like him. I want you to look at a few things. I want, let's flip over um, to the book of Philippians real quick. And I want you to see a few verses there. We're going to come back to John because we're going to end it in this story. But I want you to see this. If you look in, um, while you're turning to um, Philippians chapter 4, I want to read a verse to you. Paul also says in um, 1 Corinthians, it says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says this, he says, I die daily. What does that mean? You can't hurt someone that's already dead. There's going to be people wherever you go that are not going to like you. You're going to stand for Christ, they're not going to like you. If you have that, but you know what? Your job is not to attack them. Jesus never did that. I am just, when I look at this, I am just enamored of how many times he could have said, boom, 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 but it wasn't about him. You know what it was about? It was about us. He did what he did for us. And as I look at some of these things, I just, I, I'm, I'm amazed by this. Go to um, Philippians chapter 4, and we all know this verse. See, Paul knew the church of Philippi. And he writes in verse number 19, we all know this verse, it says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He says that. And so as we're studying this, he, he knows who God is, but Paul also knew what kind of people these were. You know how I know that? By two words in this verse. Watch this. What's the second word? Paul says, but my God shall supply your needs. He did not say, but your God shall supply your needs. Because Paul knew what these guys were. They, were not, they had not arrived yet, not understood exactly what Christ had done for them. And he's trying to teach them, listen, I've sat where you sat. He's writing this when he's in jail. He said, listen, my God will supply your needs. But it's got to be on Christ and Christ alone. He's all, and, and if you study Paul, you'll see he's always about pushing it back and saying it's about Christ and not me. He was a, he was a, a picture of what Christ was. Go to another verse. Go to verse number um, uh, 17. One of my favorite verses in Philippians, but most people don't read it. Verse 17 says this, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Here Paul himself is saying, listen, it's not about me. It's about God and it's about you. And go to Philippians chapter 1. Here's Paul writing again. He writes in Philippians chapter 1. And go to verse number 20. He says in verse number 20, he says, According to my earnest expectations and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with that all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be what? Magnified in my body. What's he saying here? It's not about me. I think Paul, we, we were kind of discussing this in Sunday school, you, you, trying to figure out who Paul was, is it, it, he's a very complex individual. Because on one side, 
He knows exactly what he's going to do. And I feel, I feel a word you could say he's confident with what he's saying. But then on the other side, I'm the chiefest among sinners. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. And he goes all this list all the way through that he shouldn't do and should do. He's doing exactly opposite. So he's confident on one side. And on the other side, he's sitting there going, I just don't know why I do the things I do. You know what this tells me? That Paul was a person. But in this whole aspect of the play here, he's saying, listen, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And that's why he writes in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. You can't hurt someone that's dead. You say, well, that's, that's easy to do. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do because you know what? We like ourselves. Our opinion matters, <laughs> right? Okay, if my wife was here, and I, and I used this as an illustration before, if we were wanting to go to a restaurant, I knew my wife wanted to go to Olive Garden, I wanted to go to Chop House, you know what I would do? You know where I want to go? It's not Olive Garden. Because I like me. But sometimes you just have to step back and go, it's not about me. Aren't you thankful Christ was selfless? You're going to see his selfless act in just a second. Go back to this verse again and see what else it says. It says that Christ also shall be magnified in my body. Then he says it takes a step further, whether it be by what? Life or by death. That's a pretty significant thing for him to say. And read the next verse. It says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the only reason he can say that is because he died daily. Now Monday's going to come along and your boss will want you to follow him and follow him and follow him and follow him. And maybe you're the boss. And that boss is still going to want you to follow him. Amen. But in that situation, you know what? You've got to die daily. Everybody in here has an opinion, right? Okay, if I painted the auditorium orange, would you like it? Wow, that preacher's crazy. He, 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 he painted the auditorium orange. I like the color orange. Now, I am colorblind, but this is Tennessee, right? And everybody go, I can't go there. He's got an orange auditorium. I've been in auditoriums where you go and go, whoa, you know. I used to sing in a, in a singing group for our college, and I'd go in auditoriums. And, and remember back in the 70s, the red carpet? Anybody remember that? Red shag carpet in churches sometimes. And there's churches that still have that. You know, sometimes we get so opinionated about certain things that we don't die to ourselves because our opinion takes over. But we're going to look at what Christ did, and I'm going to give you an illustration because I think a visual illustration will really show you how great of a man he really was. He was a very self, selfless man. Paul knew how big his God was and where these people were in life. But I want you to go to John chapter 3, and I'm going to give you three things. I want you to write these down if you can. The first thing is this. As you look in John chapter 13, the first one is this. My life is not about me. You know why people have such a hard time giving over things? Because they have a wrong idea of what a possession is. Why people have a, sometimes a hard time giving money, giving a tithe to the church? Because they have a hard time figuring out what is God's and what's ours. Here we have a situation in this story that I want you to see this. 
My life is not about me. Let's say it together because I want to make sure you're paying attention, you're not sleeping and writing wrong things down or filling in the little circles and the zeros. Okay, here we go. My life is not about me. I've got three people and I need to hear you. Okay, here we go. My life is not about me. If I can get Lee, he's louder than the whole church. Amen. My life is not about me. One more time. My life is not about me. That's what Christ, that's the example Christ had. Go to John chapter 13. Let me give you a breakdown of what happens in John chapter 13 really quick. The first part talks about Christ's love. Then Judas comes on the scene in verses 2 through 3. Verses 4 through 5 is a washing of the feet. And then Peter comes on and he starts talking about what he wants washed. He wants his head and his hands. And then there's an example in verses 11 through 17. Judas again comes back on the scene. His betrayal is found in verse number 21. And then you see Jesus teaches the disciples that we just looked at. He gives a new commandment. Peter talks about um, dying for Christ. And then Jesus tells him before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. That's the story of John chapter 13. But I want you to look at this first one. My life is not about me. His disciples were all about themselves. These same disciples that would walk around and he would teach them. One of them has their mother walk up to him and say, hey, can you see if my sons can sit on both sides of you when it comes to the kingdom? Now, if that's not a selfish motive, I don't know what it is. Bless the mom's heart. Has your mom ever embarrassed you? My mom's embarrassed me quite a bit. When, I, when she, was, she, was, she passed away about 13 years ago. But I remember as a child, she would embarrass me. I remember, I, I've told you this before, we didn't go out to eat very much when I was younger. We would go twice a year to Long John Silver's. There wasn't much in Indiana where I lived, okay? And they got coupons. And the coupon says one per family. So me and my mom would go in together and my dad and my sister would go in together in different doors and we were not allowed to talk to each other. My, my mom would threaten us with our life if you will pay the extra if we lose our coupon. It's like, mom. I remember one time making eye contact with TK and that's my sister and I thought, my mom's going to kill me right here in, in Long John Silver's. When we left, we would leave first and they would wait about five minutes and we were in the same car parked in another parking lot and then they would come back in. And as I look at some of these things, you go, wow, what is going on here? Because we wanted a break. Sometimes our mom embarrasses us. These disciples, this guy comes up, he, this lady comes up to Jesus and says, can my one son sit on the left side and my one son sit on the right side? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And Jesus is basically saying, for that to happen, they have to go through a lot to sit on my right side and my left side. And he never answers them. Because the disciples were selfish. But Christ was teaching them along the way. Peter alone in this, in this chapter, watch what he does just in John chapter 13. The first thing he does is he's going to wash the feet of the disciples. And he gets to Peter somewhere in the line, and we'll talk about this in just a second, but somewhere in the line, Peter comes up to get his feet washed. He says, listen, Jesus, we don't, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're not one of mine. Then he goes on the other side of it and says, okay, if you're going to wash my feet, you're going to wash my hands, and you're going to wash my head also. He just doesn't know when to quit. Another time in this chapter, he, he's, John is leaning on Jesus' breast, and he's talking to him, and, Jesus, and, and Peter whispers in his ear and says, listen, Ask him who's going to be the one that denies Christ. And I think Peter thought it was him. 
The third time Peter is mentioned in this John chapter 13 is at the very end. When Jesus says he's going to die, and Peter goes, listen, I will die with you. I'm ready to give my life. And Jesus looks right back at him and says, you're not ready yet, Peter. And says, in fact, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. So you have Peter in here, and you see this story, and you go, wow. Go back to this verse we looked at at the beginning. It says this, as a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. The first statement is this, my life is not about me. If I'm going to be selfless, my life is not about me. The second point is this, my life is about Christ. He's the example to be like Him. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 1. So my life is not about me. My life is about Christ. John chapter 13 verse 1 says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour has come, that he should depart out of, his, out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. See, it was all about the world. The, the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Here, here's a picture of what it should be about. My life is not about me. When I get it about me, I'm wrong. My life is about Christ. But when your life is about Christ, the third part comes in. So let's repeat the first one. My life is not about me. Let's say it. Second one, my life is about Christ. My life is about Christ. Following his example. The third one is this. If your life is about Christ, the third one falls in. My, not, my life is not about me. It's about Christ. But the third thing is about others. How many of you ever got yourself all worked up about something? Because you were going through something and you didn't think you could handle it. Then all of a sudden you hear what somebody else is going through and you realize you've got it great. But you know what the devil wants you to believe? Bernard, he wants you to believe that you've got the worst situation. Then he sends someone along your way and then you think, uh-oh, God just taught me another lesson. It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about others. I want you to look at one story in this and then we'll be done. You see the selflessness of, of Jesus in this in verse number 34 and 35. But there's a story in here and I want you to see this and we're going to read all these verses. Go to John chapter 13 and we're going to start in verse number 4. And we're going to follow it all the way down to verse 17 about 13 or 14 verses I want you to follow along. John chapter um, 13, verse number 3. I'm sorry, verse number 4. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and, and Peter saith unto the, him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Question mark. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, thou, thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus answered unto him. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. 
So after that, he washed their feet and had taken their garments and was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I have, do have done to you. Ye call me Master and Lord, and, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than, than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that has sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So when you put it in perspective when he says to love these other guys, these disciples, you understand what he's saying. As the story goes, here's what happened. He brings these guys all together, and he disrobes himself and puts a towel around him. Then he gets them and he's talking to them. Now, we can put this in perspective. If it took him five to ten minutes to wash each one of the disciples' feet, you're talking anywhere from an hour to two hours to do this. And I don't think there was many things said. He just went from one disciple to another disciple to another disciple. Somewhere along the line, out of the twelve, guess whose feet he washed? Judas. You wonder what, what Judas was thinking when he went through this. Well, what? Oh. Then he breaks the bread, gives it to him, and Judas runs off. In fact, if you read in this story, when Judas runs off, they don't even know if he's the one that did it. He's the one that's betrayed him. They actually think he's going out to get supplies for them. That's what John chapter 13 says. And he goes out because he's got their bag of money. Somewhere along the line, in this whole, whole line, there's a man by the name of Peter. When it gets up to him, we heard what he said. John writes it. He says, listen, you're not going to wash my feet. Because what it did is it signified that he was a servant. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had the privilege of washing somebody's feet? Don't freak out, I'm not going to do it. But I can tell you this, I have washed people's feet before in a church service. Now let me tell you this, in biblical times, a man's feet were filthy. If we were honest with ourselves right now, our feet are probably not dirty. But in biblical times, they wore sandals, no socks normally. And can you imagine how filthy his feet, their feet would be? This, this shows you his true love and selflessness to his disciples. Because later on, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go to a cross and he's going to be all alone. Even the sky is going to turn black and he's going to ask God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's sitting with these disciples. And can you imagine when he takes the picture and he takes it and he pours it into the water? What they're thinking is the water's going in there. Wait a minute. That's what a servant does to a person. And if the washing of a foot does not so show the most selfless person in the room, I don't know what it does. And to scrub them and make them clean. And then for them to sit, him to sit there and talk. 
If I pick somebody in here, if I pick Matt and said, Matt, I want you to come up and I want you to wash Mike's feet, would you want to do it? Probably not. What about you, Mark? If I had you come up and wash Denver's feet, would you want to do it? Now watch this. This goes both ways. I've called people up and washed their feet. And it's a humbling experience to wash someone's feet. But I want to tell you what's more humbling, Brother Soup. It's the guy that's getting their feet washed. And here you have these 12 disciples not knowing exactly what Jesus is going to do. And you see the selflessness of a Savior that comes down and washes their feet. And I don't know how long it took. He would have to take the water, dump it out, and get new water. Each disciple came up because they would make the water filthy. And he was taking the towel that he had wrapped around him and wiping it off. You say, well, Pastor Wagner, you're getting emotional about this. Because it shows me the servant that Christ was. And then when someone comes to you and they ask, man, there's not anybody in this world that would want to wash somebody else's feet. I have a hard time washing my own feet, let alone somebody else's. And when I brought somebody's people, when I brought somebody in here and I washed their feet, the whole time, I remember one of my deacons at my last church, he said, no, no, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. And the whole time you're sitting there and you're understanding exactly what Jesus did. Because when I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this week, I'm telling you, Lee, it was the most selfless person I've ever read about in my life. And you have him sitting there knowing full well that Peter was going to deny him three times. Knowing full well when he washed Thomas' feet that Thomas, was, Thomas wasn't going to believe him until he could put his hands in his, in, in his, his finger in his hands in his side. Knowing full well that Judas was going to take that money and run out and betray him by a kiss. Man, I'm telling you what. We serve a Savior that is a servant and that is selfless. And you know what we're supposed to be? Christians. To be Christ-like. And Bobby, when I look at this story, and I think of this water just pouring in here, and the next disciple getting up and going, oh my word, here he goes. He's going to, keep, he's going to wash my feet next. And the whole time, they don't understand a lot of things that he's saying. But yet he still went to Golgotha. And he loved us despite our faults. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't think I'm better than anybody in this room. If there's anybody that needs to work on this more than anybody, it's probably me. Sometimes I read into things, I do things, I say things I shouldn't do. And the whole time Christ is looking at me and God is speaking to my heart saying, listen, if you die daily, you won't do that. If you do this or you do that, you won't do that. You're all about yourself. Because sometimes I am. When you truly realize who Jesus is, and you realize that he was a selfless person, it's not too hard to serve a Savior like that. It's hard to be like him. To be like him. Oh, to be like him. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the example you are to us. So often we let you down so many times. So often I do. 
times when you tell me to talk to somebody and sometimes I deny that I even know you. Sometimes you tell me to do things and sometimes I look back and say, I, I don't have the time to do that. Sometimes I step out of your will when I'm supposed to be right in the center of it. And as I look at what you've done for these disciples, and you see this attribute that, you, that he has of being selfless. Thank you so much for being selfless. And we are to be like that. What an example. May we be that example to those around us, our friends, our family. May we be an example to those we see out in the public. May we be an example to everyone we see. May they see you and us. But we must die daily if we're going to be selfless. Thank you, Lord, for your example you've given us. Thank you for dying for Thomas. And actually, thank you for dying for Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip. Thank you for showing me how I should act when someone doesn't agree with me. It's Judas, we washed his feet. And the whole time you knew what he was going to do and he knew what he was going to do. May we be an example of being selfless to those around us. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand for us? We're not going to be here long. But I want to ask you just a couple questions. Is there ever times in your life when you're about you? <laughs> what about this week? What about this morning? What about right now? Because sometimes we won't come forward because, oh, what, what would people think? If I prayed, what would people think? And everybody in this room is, is, is selfish all the time. We need to be like him. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this is going to be totally foreign to you. You might be visiting. You might be someone that comes every week. And you might be doubting your salvation. Can I tell you, there's a time when you can look in the Scriptures, I can show you in the Scriptures what it means to be saved, and you can believe the Scriptures, and that's all you need. You've got to accept Christ in your personal heart, understand that you know that He died, rose again, He did it for you. He wasn't just a good person that walked on the earth. He was a God. He was the God that walked on this earth. And let's go to the Christians in here today. How many of you, would no one looking around, would say, you know, there's a lot of times I'm selfish. Would you raise your hand all over this auditorium? God doesn't want you that way. He wants you to understand your life's not about you. It's about Christ. It's about others. Because when it's about you, you're not focusing in on what He wants you to focus in on. We've lost our focus to be like Him. Lord, I thank you. Many people raise their hand about being selfless. We need to be more, a more selfless church than we've ever been before. May we truly see what you, what you are in the Gospels, what you are with when Paul writes about you, when James writes about you. May we be those people. May this altar be filled. May there be people sitting in their pew just, just praying that we will not be the selfish individuals sometimes we are. And I'm speaking to myself more than anybody else. Lord, may I not be a selfish preacher. May I not be a selfish person. May I not be a selfish husband, father, grandfather, friend. May I give it over to you and do what's right. 
Thank you so much for teaching me what I need to learn and may I apply it in my life.